right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Friends From Work. This is a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's hosted by me, Kyle Sconowell, and my friend, Robbie Earl. Robbie, I am coming at you live from Houston, Texas today. Wow. Shout out Texas, very close to Austin, yet the two and a half hour drive still felt too monumental for me to make <laughs> from Houston to Austin to see you. And in fairness, it was also too monumental for, for me to make. <laughs> That's um, very true. We, I, I suggested that we meet up at a Bucky's. There's a Bucky's right. halfway through and we could do a Winter Soldier themed episode. But you uh, did suggest that. Cal, <laughs> Only Cal talk Winter Soldier. <laughs> that was it. Exclusively <laughs> Winter Soldier for two hours. Um, I did not take you up on that. I didn't know how serious you were. So sounds like maybe now you were more serious than I was thinking. Well, that's my mistake. You know, I, it's fine. I was only majorly offended. Holy cow. We are right in the thick of it and still ramping up for all this stuff coming the rest of Man. this year. I feel like... We are at the tippy top of the mountain, and yet we're only halfway there, baby. (laughs) Um, And this is going to be amazing. We are getting closer, Robbie, to Friends from Work Season 3. Yeah. That's kind of weird to say. It is crazy. But there is so much to get into. We got a chance, guys, to talk with Leah McHugh, who plays Sprite from Eternals. Unbelievable. What a fun conversation. And that's coming up at the end of this episode. So you're not going to want to miss that. But also, this is a new day for us because we've done mailbag episodes in the past, but we have never done it where we actually now have voice messages from you all, from the friends from work community. And so how fun is that going to be? We got to hear from you guys. I actually got to put some voices with names I'd been reading forever. So let's freaking go. I love that. I can't believe it took us this long to think to do that. (laughs) I know. We're smart (laughs) in some areas and not so much in others. (laughs) I have also just loved, by the way, as we're talking about everything that's going on, um, love it or hate it, I've loved all of the Eternals conversation. Um, Like I, I feel like it's a movie that sparked a lot of discussion within the MCU, outside the MCU, and it just feels nice to have a Marvel film out that everyone's talking about again. It just feels a little bit like, you know, all is uh, right in the world. No doubt. I have actually only seen it one time still. So I am going again this week because in next week's episode, we're finally going to fully reflect and rank it. And so I need to see it a time or two more before that. So yeah, um, I've seen it twice now and I'm almost thinking I need to see it a third time before (laughs) Our reflection, which is really a commitment because that it it's it, is it the second longest movie after Endgame? <laughs> well, I thought you is were going right? to say it's a financial commitment because you're dropping twenty dollars every time you go. Well, also that. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, at this at this point, I think we're all in agreement that I have fully committed to financially <laughs> supporting Marvel. <laughs> we are committed at this point. Um, OK, so so much to get to today. So different for us. Cannot wait. But. I have some really important housekeeping things we got to quickly go over first. So first off, I want to say we are Oprah again. Remember how I teased that? You know, we're getting close to Christmas. (laughs) We're getting close to Thanksgiving. It's true. true. We've always liked doing little Christmas giveaways. Right. It's a giving season. So our friends at Cinemark are hooking us up again 
we have four $50 gift cards to Cinemark that we are going to give away one a week for the next four weeks in anticipation of you guys using those gift cards to buy your Spider-Man tickets. How about yes. that? You have a gift Man. card. You have a gift card. You take one. <laughs> Bees. Bees um, everywhere. I, I, <laughs> I, man, how great is Cinemark? So great. Like I've, lo- I've loved being able to do this. And I don't know that I've ever told you this, but Cinemark was the first movie theater that I remember going to growing up. Mm. Like we would always, I, I lived in a small town, so we had to drive like half an hour to the theater. Nostalgia. But I know, but it was a Cinemark and I had so many great times there. I saw the first ever Spider-Man movie at a Cinemark theater. Come on. Oh my goodness. Why didn't you tell me that? How fitting is this? Right. I don't know if I told you this, but I don't have Cinemarks by me in Nashville, which is a bummer. But remember I did those episodes from Vegas. I had Cinemarks there, so I frequented it. I went yeah. twice. That's all Man. I saw Bond and I saw Venom 2 in a Cinemark. That was a crazy Cinemark too. It was a dope Cinemark. Let's go. Um, okay, so here's what we're going to do. Each week, what you're required to do to enter into this giveaway will change. So this week, you have to follow us on social media at the FFW podcast, any social media, and you have to follow at Cinemark. Again, not Cinemax. That's a adult <laughs> film company. Okay, so Cinemark, <laughs> Cinemark. Um, and then you must tag three friends who you think might enjoy friends from work. So tag your friends on the post. We'll post something on social media at the FFW podcast and tag three friends and follow Cinemark. Okay? You will be entered to win a $50 gift card and then I will announce the winner next week and next week I will tell you what the next gift card will be going for. I can't wait. I love it. I'm intrigued. I want to know what next week is. Oh, just wait. Just wait. I'm not <laughs> even going to tell you until next week. Um, while I have you on the housekeeping front, so obviously today we got a chance to talk with Liam McHugh. We're kind of doing a little bit of this mailbag stuff. Next week, Monday, on Friends From Work Plus, we're going to get another rousing edition of the comic club from Robbie and Candace covering. Yes. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us what we're covering? Well, it's actually really fitting. Um, this week we are covering the green goblin. Oh boy. Going from his introduction, uh, back in the, I think it's amazing. Spider-Man number 14 with Stanley and Steve Ditko. And then ending with John Romita's first green goblin issues where we're introduced to the Norman Osborn character more fully. Uh, and I say that's fitting, Kyle, because, and I didn't plan it this way, although I guess I should have said that I did. Um, <laughs> the, we found out this week with the first official Spider-Man No Way Home poster that the Green Goblin is 100% confirmed for Spider-Man No Way Home. So it's time to do the research. You know, we, we yes. saw the pumpkin bomb in the trailer, so I think it was it was assumed but you never know with this stuff. And so I think it's, mm-hmm. to me, you know, it's a big check mark seeing him there in the background on his little glider. Well, and it should be said that there's been so many rumors and leaks, and I don't know what. So I'm kind of trying to cleanse my eyes from seeing anything related to it. I did yeah. catch that poster, and I know that's official, but you're having to like sift through a bunch of rumor crap to get to that actual poster. Yeah. But the actual poster looks dope. You also get to see. 
uh, Doc Ock's arms, as we know. Uh-huh. And then in an interview, Tom Holland did reference Jamie, mean, meaning Jamie Foxx. So I think it's confirmed yep. that Electro is there as well in the background. And we of that see the lightning too. in the background. Yep. And, so, and did you see the uh, the Spider Man three style floating sand in the background as well? Oh well, if you are a Friends from Work Plus Patreon subscriber, then you know how I feel about that sand being in the background <laughs> floating around. Which again, how does it float around? I understand that he turns into sand. How does he just drive it? He drives it around. It's crazy. Um, If you want to hear more of that discussion, we just on the Friends from Work Plus side finished our coverage of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. And let me tell you, talking about Spider-Man 3 was one of my favorite things we've ever done on this podcast. So if that interests you in catching up for No Way Home, you might want to check that out. We had so much fun recording that episode that night. And I've never I laughed so harder. <laughs> I know. I was I was hoping that folks would enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. And I've been I've loved that uh, that other folks are <laughs> were catching the same things that we did and got as much enjoyment out of the uh, the final installment of Sam Raimi's Spider Man. <laughs> Even as much as we talked about the plot holes in that movie and the plot conveniences, we still didn't give enough time to the fact that Gwen Stacy's father does not give a crap that his daughter is <laughs> clinging to life on the edge of a skyscraper. We did talk about it a little bit, but it doesn't have its full due. When I went back and listened, I mean, it's ridiculous that he's not panicking at all about that. Right. No, it's it's like he's all he cares about is like, oh, this guy's dating my daughter. How dare he? <laughs> As she clings to life. Right. Um, okay. So if that kind of stuff interests you and you want to support the podcast, check out patreon.com slash friends from work. That's where you can sign up for some of that bonus content. I always want to add here though, we are getting really close to doing an entire episode on this side of things, the friends from work side about mm-hmm. all of the Spider-Man things, because We not only are watching the Sam Raimi trilogy, we are also watching the Andrew Garfield films and Robbie's going through the comics and I'm going through the video games. So I think at this point we're going to be very prepared for Spider-Man. And some of that talk is going to make its way into one of these episodes as we get really close to ramping up for No Way Home. Holy cow. Right. Whenever we first announced that we were going through all of this stuff on Friends from Work Plus we had people reach out saying, well, why aren't you doing that on the main feed? And we had said, well, we, (laughs) if you look at everything that's happening, we just don't have time with the normal podcast schedule to delve into all these things we want to delve into. And I don't know if people believed this at the time, but I think now (laughs) looking at everything that there is to talk about, everything there is to do just in the Marvel world, it, yeah, I I don't know where we would have been able to cover all this stuff otherwise. So I'm really grateful (laughs) that we've been able to walk through that on the the Patreon side of things. We've already gotten some requests for when the Fantastic Four makes it into the MCU for us to go back and watch (laughs) all of those movies again. I, and so I've never seen the 2015 Fantastic Four and I have not seen the, the Chris Evans ones since they were probably in theaters. So, oh, just you wait. That would They're be a instant classics. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Watch them with Candace because we know she likes bad movies. That's, that's all I'll say. That's true. Um, next Thursday, we are finally going to be wrapping, ranking, and reflecting on Eternals. 
Wow. Which is going to be really fun. And this movie has been really polarizing. I think the response has been as big and divided as we thought it would be. I don't know that we ever thought the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes would get this low. And I don't know that we ever thought the audience score would be quite this high. Yeah. But that massive gap has made for some really interesting discussion. And so we're going to kind of fill in some of the holes from our initial reactions episode next Thursday when we reflect on Eternals. But also tonight and tomorrow, Robbie and I, your boys, are going to get to see the first two episodes of Hawkeye. Arrow shooting. Arrow. Barton. Barton. So I'm as excited for that as I can be. I think just the nature of it being a buddy cop grounded New York Christmas thing is getting me so excited because of where we're coming from with multiverse and space and cosmic. This is going to be really fun for me to shift gears for a second here. And I can't wait to talk about that, but we're seeing that tonight. So by the time you hear our voices, we will have seen the first two episodes. So next Thursday, we're also going to give you a little tease of what we've seen and what we can tell you. Obviously we can't tell you a ton, but we'll give you some of that next week. Then guys, after that, we're fully in two worlds, ramping up for Spider-Man and watching Hawkeye weekly. So it's going to be the craziest, I think the craziest era of friends from work ever, I think. Yeah. I think it's worth noting that this Hawkeye series is the first, it's the first time that we've caught up with an original Avenger post Endgame, right? I mean, we obviously have Black Widow and there's been a lot of discussion about how that movie maybe even would have felt a lot better had it been released at the time period in which it's supposed to take place. Clearly isn't the same thing. We're not picking up with Natasha post-Endgame. And I think I've seen a lot of stuff online with folks wondering, and I want to say this now without having seen anything, um, I've, I've seen a lot of folks wondering, okay, in some ways something that hasn't been explored is the part of Endgame that is kind of an Avengers disassembled arc, which I've talked about a lot on here from that Bendis comic. And I honestly hadn't even thought about that as much in terms of, yeah, we are now living, and we've talked about the fact that we're living in a sort of Avengerless world, but the fact that that's sort of one of the, the roles that that movie fills is splitting up our main folks or, or taking them off the board altogether And we didn't cover that in WandaVision. We didn't cover it in Falcon Winter Soldier, really. There were some, some like, very kind of passing references. But so this seems like where we would potentially do that, if anywhere. Uh, You know, we've seen the clips of the the Steve Rogers uh, musical. And, you know, obviously Barton was part of that from day one, so... I'm really excited about that aspect of it in particular. The reason I raise that is it's crazy to think that we have that moment that I think is in some ways one of the bigger moments that we've gotten since Endgame at the same time as Spider-Man No Way Home, which is absolutely the biggest moment (laughs) that we've had since Endgame. So you're right. I think that it's going to be an insane dance that we're going to have to do as fans of this stuff uh, weaving between those super exciting worlds. Two more Hawkeye notes from me before we dive in here. I wanted to add that I also waited to watch the first two episodes of Hawkeye. I could have watched it tonight, but I wanted to do this episode 
with a little more of a Hawkeye preview before seeing anything. So this is truly unbiased for me. One, I wanted to say, I've read two total comics in my entire life, but one of them is the Matt Fraction Hawkeye run. And so we actually got a few social media messages at the FFW podcast asking, is that going to be part of the required reading? And let me just say, as someone who is not normally the comics guy, I'm totally getting a lot of Matt Fraction vibes mm-hmm. from the trailer. There's so many things from that one run that I'm, I'm seeing here, even in the dynamic, it seems, between him and Kate Bishop. That seems to be carried over, kind of the jokey nature of it. Um, mm-hmm. But then even the logo is got the same similar vibe with the white background and how it's got the purpley arrow-ish thing. I think there's going to be some some taking from that. But also, I am still continuing my entire MCU rewatch, and my wife and I just got through Age of Ultron. I think I have forgotten how much that movie centers around Hawkeye. Yeah. And when oh, you look yeah. at it, it's like he doesn't have a solo film up until now. So that's part of it. Secondly, you look at his involvement in the first Avengers and he's mind controlled for half of it. So I thought it was really clutch, obviously, here that they don't do that again when Wanda right. tries to do it because we need more Barton time where he's not mind controlled. But oh my goodness, you know, you and Candace have kind of joked about who's the winner and loser of the comics. I was thinking he's one of the main winners of that movie. I love his family story. I like how he plays his part in that movie and he plays a really pivotal role. That's maybe the most we ever get Barton. So I thought that was really fitting that on the eve of watching the first two episodes of Hawkeye, I had just finished age of Ultron. Yeah. I I mean, that is a, you're, you're totally right. I mean, if there is a character other than, than Tony that is really highlighted in that movie, I think it is for sure. Clint, uh, and, you know, I think it's interesting because Joss Whedon, we probably talked about this in the episode, is known for those bait and switches where he makes you think you're going to lose a certain character and then takes another one instead. And Age of Ultron is a massive example of that because you're definitely getting vibes that you're getting to know Clint so well and getting to know his family because they're taking him off the board. And I really like that that they subverted that there and have continued to subvert that even through Endgame. But I also wanted to note that uh, you're totally right about the Matt Fraction comic stuff. And not only is it similar in tone to what Fraction was writing, but it's also really similar to the actual visuals that David Aya gave throughout that comic from the covers to the actual kind of plotting. And I want to point that out because I think I'm guilty of this. I, I will shorthand say it's the Matt Fraction Hawkeye series, partially because... There's a lot of debate online about how you actually pronounce David's last name. And uh, any time that I say any name on this podcast, within a couple minutes of the podcast being released, the knives are out. <laughs> and, I <didn't> know. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want that to be an excuse. By the way, the way I just pronounced it is from an interview with David where he talks about the fact that there are multiple ways to pronounce it. And he himself does not even know if there's a right or wrong one. I'm going to get to the bottom of this eventually, but just easy if you're out there and you have a preconceived notion. (laughs) My point is I don't want to take away from his uh, contribution to this because it is pretty massive. Even the logo that we're getting for the show is straight up pulled from the one that he created for Mm -hmm. that comic. Uh, So I I do think that, and, and, and again, I mean, the way that he 
the way that he paces that, the, the way that he works with Matt to build the humor, like that's one of those where, I mean, this is always the case with artists and, and comics, but that one in particular, it would not be what it is without the very kind of unique style that David brings to that. Okay, but now let's get into some of your questions from our audio mailbag. And just as a reminder, we're going to be chatting with Leah McHugh Sprite from Eternals here at the end of this episode. And if you would rather that video of that interview is available on our website, the FFWpodcast.com. So if you'd rather see what she looks like and see what she's saying, you can check that out there. But first, here's a quick word from some of our sponsors. All right, guys, thanks so much to everyone who left us a voicemail. This was really cool for me to hear, like I said earlier. Um, If we don't get to your questions today, it's no offense to you. It's just that A, we got quite a few of them, and B, I just chose a few that fit this episode well, because three of Mm -hmm. these questions in particular really transitioned Robbie and I well into what we wanted to talk about. So without further ado, here is our first question. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Robbie. Uh, My name is Josh. I live in Oceanside, California, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, so my question is really this. Um, with uh, Spider-Man in particular, we have seen a different interpretation of Spider-Man um, in the Tom Holland character that Kevin Feige and the individuals at Marvel had provided to us. Um, we got the Tobey Maguire interpretation, Andrew Garfield's version, so it stands to reason that Tom Holland's version would be very unique, and it is. Um, but one thing I noticed was that at the end of Homecoming, Peter kind of has to stand on his own. And he ends up saving the day, stopping Vulture all on his own and reaching the catharsis that he does in that movie and kind of starting to learn a little bit what, what it's like to be the neighborhood hero, to be Spider-Man. And then in Far From Home, we take that a step further. And, you know, we see at the end of that climax in the movie that, you know, he embraces that, that spider sense and just straight up owns Quentin Beck. And it's kind of like, takes what happened at the end of homecoming to a little bit of the like the next level. So my question ultimately to you guys would be given what we know about no way home and the characters involved and where Peter's story was in the last two movies, what do you guys see as being the next step up from that? So assuming that say we don't get another Tom Holland, Spider-Man movie, which I feel like is unlikely, but let's say we don't get that. Where do you see Peter's character arc ending by the time no way home is done. Thanks again. And, uh, love the show. I do think there will be more films and I do think there'll be more Spider-Man. So I know we're assuming there's not with this question, but I do think he'll be around for longer. It is strange because Holland's made some comments, but you can't trust anything that guy says right now. No. And I think he's just trying to hype it up that maybe that part of the Spider-Man story is over, but I don't think he'll die. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Feige has also made some comments that make me think that, it, to the extent that Holland has indicated that this is the, the final Spider-Man movie with his comments, I feel like Feige has equally indicated otherwise with his comments. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So I like the question. I see what they're saying. Um, you know, in Homecoming, he kind of has the rubble moment. Yeah. And that's a big moment. And then they kind of have that, that growth moment one-upped, if you will, in Far From Home with the drones and Mysterio. So I guess this is straight up prediction. (laughs) What do you think that could look like here? Well, I think the way I look at those two uh, and and why I think those two movies are so cleverly done is that the first 
is Spider-Man kind of wanting to be this larger-than-life kind of globe-trotting Avenger and actually deciding against that and realizing that that it's not about that and that there is something to be said for being friendly neighborhood. And then in the second one, it's the opposite and that he's like, no, 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 I just wanted to be friendly neighborhood and now you're pulling me into being a globe-trotting Avenger and then realizing that there he he kind of does have what it takes to step sort of into the Tony Starkness of it all, um, which, again, is a total reversal almost exactly of what we had in Homecoming. And I, I love that a lot, especially since those are both technically within the Infinity Saga. This next one, I'm curious to see what you think. My thought is that now that Tony Stark has kind of fully been dealt with, um, I think that especially as we're getting these other Spider-Man villains, whether or not we get the other Spider-Men, I think that they're going to sort of lean into the Spider-Man-ness of it all um, in terms of what separates Peter from any other hero in the MCU. And I think that that's going to come down to kind of what you and I have talked about as we've been walking through the Raimi films, which is that real focus on personal responsibility uh, and I think kind of leaning into the credo that has been in some ways avoided by the MCU so far. So then my big question to that is, in an Avengers world, do they ultimately have Tom Holland, Peter Parker, take a step back towards more of the friendly neighborhood, New York protector, like you're saying, mm-hmm. or do they ultimately choose him to fully elevate a step up and become a massive leader of the Avengers to where characters like Falcon, now Captain America, would actually consult Spider-Man first, right? Like he's not being brought along for the ride. Yeah. He is being asked about what do we do here? And I don't know which way they're going to go. I think I'm leaning like what you're saying, going more into the quote unquote Spider-Man lore Right. And back towards the friendly neighborhood thing more because they haven't done that as much in the MCU. I think that's correct. But at the same time, I've said on this podcast so many times that I ultimately do want him to feel more grown up now. You know, I, I right. and that's one of the things that I actually appreciate about the Sam Raimi movies is that it would be nice if they find a way for this Spider-Man to become a little more adult in his quips, a mm-hmm. little more aware of the pressure he's facing. No, not the pressure. Cause he is facing pressure in, in the second one, you know, right. to be Spider-Man. But I just mean that weight, does he go that direction more? Yeah. Well, and, and I think that it's different too, because the pressure again, I, f- I feel like the pressure he's facing is to be an Avenger sort of in, in far from home. Yeah, true. And who's going to be the next Tony Stark. Right, right. And and I think I, I agree with you. A, a couple things. In that interview with Douglas Woke, he made a comment that I thought was interesting that I sort of half agree with and half disagree with um, in that he he said, you know, it would be great to transition over to Miles and, you know, have a younger actor and be able to, like, not have to deal with the complications of Holland aging out. But to me... I think like both and like, yeah, we should absolutely bring Miles in and continue to have that young, even younger than Holland element, which is one of the things that Bendis did really well uh, back whenever he introduced the character. But also like, I love that Tom Holland is starting to get older. 
Like, I want him to get older. I want it to be acknowledged that he's getting older. Because even in the Raimi films, it's sort of strange that, like, they only let a little bit of time pass between all of those movies. So you never Mm -hmm. actually deal with the concept of Spider-Man going through any sort of changes due to, like, maturity. And I would like to see that explored. Well, and I want a young Miles, like you're saying, but it would just be more appropriate if he's not so young. And and, th- and if that's the case, we need Spider-Man to get a little bit older so there's a gap there still. Right. You know what I mean? There, that gap, I don't want the gap to be 16 and 5 or 16 <laughs> and 10, right? Right. I want more like Spider-Man to become 21 and Miles to be 14. Right. Right. Well, and, and in the comics, I would it's about 10, I would say. And then I think Spider-Man's supposed to be kind of late 20s and Miles is supposed to be uh, in high school at this point. Right. But at this point, they're not going to have Tom Holland, Spider-Man be late twenties yet. There's no way that much time has passed. Right. But But, but by the way, it's not even just an age thing. It's also just a vibe thing. Right. As I said before, I'm replaying the Spider-Man video games and even in the confidence in the quips, like the Tom Holland we've gotten so far, by the way, by the way, I freaking love Tom Holland. I love what he's done. But the one we've gotten so far is more of like a, oh, no, oh, shucks, what's happening? Awkward, right? right? And I love that about the high school version. But an older version of Peter would have more confidence, I think, even in how he's trash-talking his opponents. Right. No, for sure. To me, one of the things I I like that you just said a second ago about the the two outlets for a mature Spider-Man that has that kind of confidence being, does he, does he, like, go more fully into an Avengers role or does he kind of go back into the friendly neighborhood role? To me, I think that the beauty of it is that by kind of having that confidence to be who like Spider-Man is, I think that it can be, he goes in the neighborhood role, but also that means that it's, it's not that he's walking away from the Avengers responsibility. It's that he's recognizing there's in some way like a, a higher or at least a more tailored calling that doesn't preclude him from helping the Avengers in kind of these big like world or, or universe saving moments, but means that he has a, another role that, that he fills, which I, I think is going to be some potential that hasn't been super explored in the MCU so far, which is as we get more kind of quote-unquote villains running around uh, that aren't necessarily dispatched within the first show or movie where they're introduced. I think one of the things that's fun about Spider-Man is he's he's the one that's kind of out and around New York protecting the average person from a supervillain that's like robbing a bank or whatever. I'm not saying we're going to get that much kind of tropey with it, but I do want... M- I want him to be able to fill that role and not just be like another guy that's living in Avengers headquarters that's going out on missions. Right. There needs to be a little bit more by the end of this movie of he kind of retires back to the watchful protector of New York. Like I want to believe that in the background with all these other movies, Spider-Man is still taking care of New York, right? Like I'm just assuming there are bank robberies and little villains that are getting around and Spider-Man just taking care of them without calling Captain America. You know what I mean? Right. He's just getting it. Um, To kind of close the Spider-Man discussion with a bold prediction, you know, the caller was specifically asking about those power moments kind of right where he's realizing Mm -hmm. his growth there. And so if I have to go on a limb here, I kind of want to say, I wonder if, the big moment for this Peter Parker in this movie is going to be that he proves Dr. Strange wrong. Like in some crazy moment, maybe it's that 
Doctor Strange needs his help. Like right. Doctor Strange did something wrong and it's like, Peter, please. And that's like the big moment here. That's a bold prediction. Totally a guess. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, it makes me excited to, to read through what will be the final readings in the comics episode here in a few weeks uh, where we start to explore some of the Spidey Doctor Strange stuff. Because, yeah, that's a fun dynamic. Well, and part of the reason I say that is because so much of the first two movies are Tony is the mentor, Spider-Man right. is the young kid being taught, and Tony's the right. one in control here. And it's even with the ship and Homecoming, it's like, you're still messing up, kid, and here's the strength that I can do that you can't do with your webs. And, right. you know, we talked about how Doctor Strange has a lot of similar personalities to Tony. And so I think the temptation would be, is Doctor Strange just going to step in and be the mentor again, just like Tony was? And I think that it's going to be no here's why it's different now. I've already realized hmm. my strength or my whatever. And that's my bold prediction. They're going to twist that father, Tony Stark narrative a little bit here. Right. No, I, I like that. I, I like that prediction. I, I think my, maybe this is less of a prediction, but more of a, of a request from this movie or something that I would like to see them deliver. Uh, Far From Home did a good job of what we always ask them to do in the MCU, which is kind of listing off the other heroes and explaining why they can't be there. But in No Way Home, I don't want it to just be that Spider-Man's the only one that can fight Doc Ock because he's the only one that happens to be in the location where Doc Ock shows up. I want them to find a way to show to us why it is Spider-Man alone that can kind of fight and win this battle that he's confronted with whatever that ends up looking like um in a way that other heroes wouldn't be equipped to do quickly answer this do you think we'll get any kind of flashback in this movie to tom holland's past do you think you'll see uncle ben do you think you'll see an explanation for his parents or is it strictly forward i know that'd be way different do you think you're getting right. any of that i have always held out hope for the uncle ben flashback i don't think we need to go into the parents uh, but the Uncle Ben flashback, I, I could see happening. The parents thing is not that unique. Everyone's got parents and troubled parents in the MCU. But the Uncle right. Ben thing is unique to Spider-Man. And I do wonder if they are approaching that lore a little bit more. If they finally bring Uncle Ben in here a right. teeny bit. Um, okay. Next question. Love this question. Here we go. Hey, guys. You have an awesome show. Me and my wife listen to you guys every week. Uh, my question is, what is the chances that these movies that are coming out all happen in different universes? Oh, that's a fun question. Uh, I, I've, I've heard a couple people bring up things like this, particularly as we were looking at some announcements post the Loki finale. I am curious. I'm curious to hear what you're going to say because uh, we haven't discussed this yet. I find it hard to believe that Marvel would would do too much of that uh, without forecasting it. I mean, I think they want to do more world building with the people that we know and the places that we've known. There's a lot of depth there that they've kind of worked up over the last however many years that I think is, is worth continuing to tend. Um, but... Again, as we talk about the Secret Wars thing, I don't know. I mean, we might get to a point, I don't think anytime soon, but within the next decade where we're 
introduced to to versions of heroes from alternate universes, uh, not just in, in like a what if way, but maybe in a fuller live action way that would then meet up in a Secret Wars movie. I don't, I don't know. That feels like a big leap um, and a lot of investment for people to put into a character that isn't in the the main universe. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess my answer to that would be. I don't think any of the shows that have been announced so far would be operating in different universes, but I could see it happening down the line. If I had to put money on it, I would say that all of these movies and shows are in the same universe. So that's if I had to gamble. However, I will say that Marvel has surprised us in the past with things, and it's not totally out of comprehension that they could be trying to one up us in the twist. And mm-hmm. it is possible that they, they put out all these movies and new characters and strange new things that are slightly different universes and we don't know it. And then like two years down the road, somehow find a way to collide them all and explain why some of these strange things exist. And that could be like their big gotcha. I do think that is yeah. possible, but if I was betting, I'd say no, but I, I, I'll just say this. The Infinity Saga was a lot more linear than this. You know, like from the beginning, there right. was all these stories, but we knew kind of what we were building toward. We didn't know exactly how it would go right. down, but there wasn't like a massive twist of like, oh, Thanos is actually not the villain. It's actually this guy or something. Um, right. And yet, if they are trying to make a conscious effort to make phase four feel different, that's where I would say it's possible that they could be messing with us with that and that they are from different universes. And then that will be their big, like, wow, this is what's so different about phase four. However, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. One comment I do want to make the Morbius movie complicates this a bit. Right. And which we haven't talked about yet, which we haven't talked about. And, and I was about to say, and that's not the MCU, but I don't, who knows, right? (laughs) Because it's not Marvel studios proper, but Michael Keaton's in it. And he seems to be playing the vulture. Uh, and so there are other, there, you know, I, we talked about this way, way back. I mean, like I think in January of 2020, whenever the first Morbius trailer came out pre COVID and the fact that the, he passes a, like a wanted poster and the wanted poster is a picture of the Spider-Man PS4 version of the Sam Raimi (laughs) costume. What the heck? With Michael Keaton in it. But also, now we've seen in the later trailer, there are buildings in the skyline from the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Right. It's kind of referencing every one of them. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, one I've said this before, just as an aside, Sony has really figured out how how to sell these movies. (laughs) If they just if they link it even just barely into the MCU, then now I'm I'm hooked in a way that I even as a Spider-Man fan was not hooked into the Morbius movie initially. So kudos <laughs> right. to them. Like you and I are going back through freaking Venom and Spider-Man Sam Raimi trilogy, so it's working right. for them. Um, <laughs> regarding the different universes thing. Uh, This is obvious, but Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be such a telling moment for me on what's going to happen with Phase 4. And what I mean by that is, like, Mm -hmm. are we going to get to see 
the multiverse thing winding down, not closing maybe, but is it kind of like Spider-Man is what we're building towards and they find some way to start hinting that this is slowing down now? Like we're kind of going back to one or is Spider-Man No Way Home just the very, very beginning of this? Is this going to be like, we blast open everything we know. Here's every movie that's been brought in and we don't get any kind of closure on that front. I just think by the time we see that movie, we're going to have such a good picture of where we're kind of going for the next two years. And like I've said a million times on this podcast at this moment, I don't know. I don't know if the multiverse thing is going to be a five-year deal, a five-month deal, or like a 15-year deal. And we're going to know so much more about that, I think, in December. If If I had to put money on it, I would say it's shaping up to be more of an Infinity Saga, like, 10-year deal. Um, but maybe not as much of a through line. You know, like, I feel like most of the Infinity Saga movies, with some exceptions, kind of linked back into that one story. And I could see what we're getting now being a little bit, like, us having more projects that don't necessarily deal with the multiverse at all but that just the characters we're introduced to might wind up having to deal with the multiverse like further down the line. But yeah, you're right. I mean, No Way Home will be very much telling in that respect. I'm leaning that way too, just with how much at this point they have to close up. I mean, they have to come back and address Loki. What if season two, more Spider-Man stuff, multiverse of madness, all of these seem to still be tied. Plus we're hearing rumors of secret wars. So even if they said, yes, it is secret wars. I don't think we're getting it for another two years minimum, even if they were doing it right now. So I'm leaning more towards like a five day year run of this. Okay. Last question here. And I love this one. This will transition us back into Eternals talk with Liam McHugh. And quickly, guys, we are about to talk Eternals and we're about to chat with Liam McHugh. All of this discussion obviously has spoilers in it for the film. So if you haven't seen Eternals, this is probably where you want to bow out. If you have, I think you're going to love this discussion. Hey, guys, this is Johnny from Richmond, Virginia. Love the show. Wanted to ask what you guys thought about Kingo in the final battle in Eternals, how he was kind of just indifferent, walked away, didn't really care if his family was killing each other. I thought that was a little strange, but then even more strange that he just came back and was all cool with them after the battle. I don't know. Gave me a little weird vibes. Was wondering what you guys thought about it. Again, love the show. Thanks. Okay. So I'll start here. Uh, and then I want to hear from you because I know you have a little insight. You tease that for me, um, <laughs> via a interview with Chloe, but I do not know what you're about to say. Um, I read this comment quite a few times on our Slack. And again, I've only seen the movie one time. I kind of liked it. And at minimum, I was okay with it. And here's why. Mm-hmm. I think what they were trying to paint is just how divisive and gray area this topic was. Like this decision was so difficult for them that I kind of liked that we got to see how every individual person handled it in their own way. And Kingo's way was basically to wash his hands of it, where he just said, you know what? I don't want to make the call one way or the other, so I'm just going to let it happen. And I know that that was maybe a letdown if you were wanting to see him fight, but I thought it was uh-huh. actually kind of a cool twist because, you know me, I like when they bring in the gray area. And I like that yeah. he's undecided there. Um, 
I think it would have been a little too on the nose if every character, after hearing this news about what they are and what their purpose is, was instantly just decided. Like, I'm on this side, you're on that side. The whole point of the movie, I think, was the human element, the gray area element, and I think you even saw that not just in Kingo walking away, but you obviously see it in, in how torn Icarus is now that he's grown right. for Cersei and he's now questioning what is he going to do? And you see it in Druid and you see it in Sprite. So I just think this was Kingo's way of processing it. And his way was, I just don't know, guys. I don't know what to do. I followed Icarus before. Now it seems like maybe he's wrong, but I understand what he's saying. And you know what? I have no answer. So I'm out of here. And I don't think that that's that crazy for me. What do you think? So one, I think that's a great question. And two, it makes me very excited because that's the one thing I kind of wanted to talk about today on this episode uh, before we got to our reflection episode because it was just on my mind because I did read a Chloe Zhao interview where she's addressing that. And what she said is almost exactly what you just said, uh, which I love. In oh, that let's go. She said it was <laughs> – she actually said that was one of the most important plot elements for her personally, not necessarily as a creator, but as a person with with how Eternals wound up because she was just talking about that kind of tension that you're bringing up of the like the nonviolent response in general as an option, right? Like there even on, on the one hand, let's say maybe Kingo does agree with the folks that fight against Icarus but he just doesn't believe in taking up arms against them, which is sort of what he's saying. And she was kind of legitimizing that as a course of action. But then beyond that, she was talking about the fact that you don't even really know where he is because he doesn't even really know where he is at that point in time. And that's for the reason that you're calling out, which is that it is such a gray area where on the one hand, they are going to have to destroy the planet if they let the celestial be born. But there's the whole kind of numbers game thing that we've talked about before in the MCU of like you're destroying one planet's population in order to allow countless planets worth of populations to exist. But the thing that I think complicates it even further than that is the thing that I've wrestled with some in this movie, which is the fact that Icarus is such a kind of flawed messenger in this situation. Like I think... I think had Icarus been, had he just turned against them there at the end because he's he's pro-Celestials and they're kind of wanting to save the planet, I think in some ways it, it would have simplified things. But the fact that he is coming in and having killed Ajak and taken that step kind of brings him into almost full-on villain territory. And I think in some ways that makes you think, well, Kingo should have been willing to fight against him. But I think in some ways it just kind of further complicates and intensifies the situation and kind of explains why Kingo would just extricate himself from that entirely. First off, let me just say that truly I had not heard that from you. So I didn't cheat the system just because Chloe and I are thinking the same. (laughs) Doesn't mean that I heard it. I swear. Um, and then secondly, let me just close it by adding this. And this is the most controversial thing to end on. So everyone just calm down. It reminds me a little bit of the last Jedi. Um, Whoa, hello. Uh Hello. Here we go. Um, (laughs) which you and I both loved and instantly with me saying that 
half our audience now hates us. That's how that yeah. works now and thinks we're terrible and know nothing about film now. So, um, <laughs> but, but here's my point. Uh, there's a plot point in that movie where Finn and Rose have to go to the casino and then they have to escape and they get the code breaker. And ultimately they get caught anyways and kind of mess it all up. And so many people hate that part of the movie because they say, well, what was the point of that? Like they failed to which I always say my interpretation of that though was yes, they did fail. And that was the whole point. I think the movie was trying to show us that failure as Yoda says is a thing to grow from. And so I think the whole point was not everything goes as planned. Yes, they did waste their time on the casino planet because it mm -hmm. didn't work out. But that gray area of that failure is actually what I was drawn to. Not that I right. love every casino scene, but I like the plot point of they can't always just sneak around and get everything they want. In this case, they got caught and it didn't work. And that's how I feel a little bit with this. Yes, the nonviolent protest stuff, I see that too and I love that. But also just that he doesn't know and it's a gray area and now he's just going to walk away. And is that satisfying or like is should he know everything or should he fight for everything as hard as he should? Maybe. Or always make the right choice. Right. But they don't and we don't. And not everyone in this world is really decisive or a leader in that right. way. And that's normal and that's the gray area and that's how people are and that's what I kind of like. So that's no, a I, weird I tie, but that's kind of how I, that's how it hit me the first time I saw it. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to, I won't go into it now, uh, but I do, she also speaks some to Fastos and the way that, that he responds and his kind of motivating forces in that movie. And I thought that was really powerful. She talks about another scene that was kind of the, the other really big one for her personally as this was coming together. So we'll talk about that in our reflection episode. But before we, we wrap up and head into our conversation with another Eternals cast member, I did just want to note, because you and I always talk about how much we appreciate this, I've followed Kumail Nanjiani online for a while because I'm just i a, I'm a fan of his. I was a big fan of The Big Sick, uh, which is a movie he, he wrote and starred in a couple years back. So I've been following him online as Eternals has come out, and... It just made me so happy how into this he is. Like, he seems to... You know, to, I love that. I know. It's just like he... And obviously, there's some sort of obligation if you're in one of these movies to do promo. But this is going way beyond that. Like, he's engaging with fans. He seems to just have really, really connected with the character and with the story. And it makes me honestly like the movie more to see how yeah, always much... always does. He, you know what I mean? Like, so I just wanted, I to, I wanted to call that out. Whenever one of these actors chimes in and they're kind of like, I don't know, I didn't really see it or ha ha ha, let's change the subject. I'm like, dude, you idiot. I care about it so much. I want to know you care. Right. And this is the exact opposite. I love when it's the opposite. I love when I can watch these interviews and these actors talk about how much they put into it and they poured into it and the thought behind it. And they're interacting with fans that loved it. And that just makes it better. It makes you care more. 100%. One of the reasons I love The Office, by the way, if you ever hear anyone talk about The Office, they all are so obsessed right. with their time on The Office, and they will promo it to the biggest degree, and I love that. Um, guys, this, though, was really fun. It's not every day you get to talk to an Eternal, as I'm about to say here. Right. Speaking um, of someone who's passionate about their MCU experience. Yes. Leah McHugh was so kind to join us. She and her team were so fun. She grew up a child actor. And so you're going to hear a really fun answer to the, one of the questions that you and I both didn't expect. I thought, right. Oh, for sure. 
And so, yeah, without much further ado, let's hear from Leah McHugh after a quick word from our sponsors. All right, everyone. Today is extra special because it's not every day that you are joined by an eternal. And so, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Friends from Work, Leah McHugh, who plays Sprite. Woo! Leah, welcome. Welcome. Excited to be here. How are you? We are doing so good. We're doing even better now that we're talking to you. I want to start here, Leah. (laughs) You have a ton of experience doing films, TV, other stuff. That first day that you walk on a Marvel set, is it a lot different than something you've done in the past or is it similar in a lot of ways? It felt like 10 times the pressure, honestly. Mm. Um, you know, like as, as a kid coming onto like a set with all these like adults and these A-list actors, it was really intimidating. And I was like, I can't mess up. I can't mess up. And I, <laughs> I they actually switched scenes around me on my very first day. So I was, I no speak Spanish and I found out like an hour before they're like, oh, we switched the scenes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't, oh my God, I just speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. I can't mess this up. <laughs> yeah. I have, it's like a blurred memory of first week. Cause I think I was so nervous. Oh my gosh. What do you do in that situation? When, when you were told that you were about to have to speak a language that you don't speak. <laughs> I just like practiced till I knew it. I like made sure it, it was only a few, it was like a second uh-huh. or two. So it wasn't awful, but, um, one of the actors in the scene actually spoke Spanish in real life. So he helped me out. Uh, okay. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. That actually leads into a question I was going to ask, which was what, what were the dynamics like on set when you're talking about so many A-list actors that it was just a massive cast full of incredibly talented folks. What was it like sort of balancing out all those personalities and, and just working with all these folks maybe for the first time? It was actually really fun. I, I don't think I was really aware of how famous some of these people were, which was a good thing coming into it. You know, <laughs> I wasn't as nervous as I probably should have been. And it was funny. I mean, so, so like Selma was actually like a fan of Angie and Angie was a fan of Selma and Dawn was a big huh. fan of Angie. So we, they were all sort of like fans of each other. So it was really fun. Uh-huh. We were all excited to meet each other. And Chloe had talked to all of us about the family dynamic of this movie. So we were all mm. like ready to jump in and like make it happen. I mean, we hung out offset on set. Like we were, we were really good, like friends with each other. Hmm. Well, what was your experience like working with Chloe specifically? Chloe was amazing. I mean, the amount of effort she put into like every single one of the characters, and how much mm. thought every moment of the movie had. And, mm. you know, she, she would like ponder things and, you know, come back and make it better. And, um, she really helped me understand my character. And, and I can say the same, I think with all of us, she really connected us to our characters. Hmm. Hmm. That's actually our favorite part too. As a side note, we talked about how she has a really good feel on the humanity of these characters. And so, right. yeah, I like hearing you say that. Um, exactly, yeah. <laughs> now that you've gotten a chance to actually see the film, I'm assuming. Yes, I've seen the film. <laughs> okay, good. Do you have a favorite scene or favorite memory? And that might actually lead into this film was shot over a ton of locations too. So do you have a favorite memory on one of those different locations? Hmm. Um, there was a really funny day in the Canary Islands where we were all um, approaching this, like there's a ship and we're approaching it and all of us were there and it was so like windy and we couldn't see anything. 
it was mm. pre-COVID, but we were actually like wearing masks because we couldn't breathe because the wind was so strong. So we had to do a scene where we're all standing there. We're supposed to be looking cool. And everyone was wearing sunglasses because we couldn't like throw sand blowing at our faces. And they were like, uh -huh. who wants to take, someone needs to take off their sunglasses for the scene. Like someone had to like take them off and look at the thing. And no one was like, nope, I'm good. We're good. They're like, let Leah do it. Yeah, let Leah do it. Leah can do it. So I, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a super cool scene. You had to feel like you're standing there <laughs> on, among a team of superheroes and you're the one that gets to like super coolly take I off know, the sunglasses. I was actually excited about that because no one else wanted to do it. <laughs> that's right. amazing. And that was like a visual that I feel like made it into some of the promo stuff as well, right? Yeah, it is. It's a really cool part. Man, that's funny. What was it like for you? I, I, I guess two things. First, I'll ask, how did you come to be cast in Eternals? And what did that process look like for you to wind up as, as Sprite in this film? Well, you know, I got an audition as I, you know, I, I, I auditioned a lot in person um, before COVID. So it was just a regular audition. And I knew it was for Marvel because I had been to that like casting office before, um, mm. but I didn't know what it was for. It was, and it had the description of like a girl with dark hair and dark eyes. And I went in and I was like, I had blonde hair at the time. And I was like, I'm willing to dye my hair darker, wear contacts. And she laughed at me and she was like, that has nothing to do with this movie. This is like gummy sides. These aren't real. Don't worry. <laughs> I was like, oh, so I got a call back and I got actual sides. And I signed an NDA, of course, and I realized what it was for and I Googled it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is for Eternals. But the crazy thing is I had no idea how much of the movie I would even be in. Like, cause I didn't get to read the script until after I signed the contract. So it was, it was quite the exciting surprise when I read the script for the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like a lead in this movie. It's so crazy to me that you can go into these films not even having an idea or going to these auditions, not even having an idea what you're auditioning it's, for. It's never happened to me before. Cause I, I usually I'll read a script when I get the audition, you know? Wow. That's Man. crazy. One of my favorite parts of the entire film is actually the plot that's centered on your character. This idea that you are an ancient person trapped in a young person's body and you have humans who would do anything to live eternally. And yet now you have Eternals that just want to actually grow old and live a life. Um, how did you approach playing a character that unique? You know, I guess the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I've, I felt sort of stuck being young. I've been working with adults since, since I was like nine on set. Mm. And I feel like a lot of my good friends are adult actors. And I feel that I've sort of grown up a lot faster than any kid really my age. And I felt that I sort of understood feeling like an adult or being stuck, you know, looking mm. young. And I, I was really excited to play that character because of that, because I don't think it's really been sort of, there's never really been a character like that before, especially mm. who's thousands of years old in the body of a child. I found her, her history really interesting and, you know, her power of storytelling and how throughout the years, she sort of like brought history with her, y you know, it's like, sort of imagine that, you know, she's right. She's written history books and she's come up with, you know, mythology and all these things mm -hmm. and, right. and how smart she is, you know, and how much, and she, I think she takes a lot of pride in like the history that she's brought with her. And it's like really mm -hmm. sad that she can't, you know, like revel in it. They can't be, you know, she can't be recognized as what she really is. Oh, I didn't even think about 
that's such a cool answer that you could bring that much personal experience, I guess, into a role like this. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> guess it just happened. <laughs> did uh did you get a chance or or feel the need to read any particular comics ahead of the film? Was there anything that Chloe pointed y'all to, or was it sort of intentionally separate from from that mythology? Well, I, I didn't read the comics. I don't think any of us read the comics. Um, I think it's very different than the script. And so we I've just focused on what the story was and talking to Chloe about it. You know, she compared Sprite to Judy Dench, um, sort of, you know, Sprite's an old soul. She's an old lady and, you know, she's tired of it. She's tired of living. She's tired of life. She's tired of humans. Mm. She's a little cranky in that way. So it was just, it was more like communicating with Chloe and understanding the script and her backstory. Okay. A couple of quick uh, rapid fire questions here about your other cast members. Okay. So this is about the actor themselves, not about the eternal. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Who is the funniest actor on set? Kumail. Really? He's so funny. I don't understand it. Like he just, he just says the funniest things. I was laughing with him the whole time. We had our hair and makeup chairs next to each other. So we were, and we had a lot of scenes together and you know, we, we sort of banter in the movie. So it was a lot of fun. We were basically like that offset too. <laughs> Same that. In the movie. He's one of the funniest parts. Yeah. I was going to say in the movie too. Yeah. No uh, which uh, actor would you like to have lunch with the most? I mean, I've had lunch with all of them. But... I know, but right now, <laughs> tomorrow. Right now? Yeah. Uh, Don. I love Don. And he, he like recommends like the best restaurants too. Mm. That's a good okay. tip. yeah there you go it's always important to have the good restaurant guy around oh yeah good food (laughs) um which actor would you take into battle with you barry Mm. barry barry like boxes in real life too oh yeah okay no way how about which which actual eternal would you take into battle with you Dina. definitely Dina. yeah she's really cool well i i have to say and part of the reason i asked about the the comic source uh, my wife and I read through the Neil Gaiman Eternals comics together recently. Um, she's been sort of getting introduced to the world. And Sprite, through that, became her favorite Eternal. Um, and Aww. so then when she got to go to the screening with me, she was very excited to see the way that you portray the character and came away with Sprite still being her favorite Eternal. So without <laughs> intending to, uh, you carried that over very well from the, from the source material. Oh, that's so sweet. Tell her I say thank you and hi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will. Well, Leah, this has been an absolute honor. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed the film. We loved your portrayal of Sprite. Love what so you brought much. to that character. And chatting with you has only made that better. So thank you so much. I you, We say this every time, but there's an open invitation for you on Friends from Work. If you ever need to come back, if you made make Eternals 2, you have us to talk to. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, we figure we can't say anything about that because we might get shot, but you know, that's true. Yeah. I can't, I can't say anything. <laughs> they honestly I never tell me anything anyways. It tells <laughs> so we know when everyone else knows pretty much. <laughs> well, then you're safe either way. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Oh, thank you guys so much. That was so fun. And thank you so much to her yeah, and her hey. team. As we always say, the invitation's open. So hopefully, you know, if Eternals <laughs> 2 comes out, you know, your boys are here to still chat. Hey, I mean, there's, it's not like they're lacking in material to follow up on. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> there could be Eternals two, three, four, five, and six. Um, <laughs> but thank you to her. Thank you to you guys for listening, for supporting this podcast, yes. for making this so much fun for Robbie and I, and now also for calling in 
and leaving us messages. We have a few more tricks up our sleeves coming very soon. Can't wait to tell you about. Don't forget the Cinemark giveaway. Follow Cinemark and follow at the FFW podcast and tag three friends that you think would like this podcast. And get ready, guys, because the train's moving. We want you to be a part of it. Catch up on Friends from Work Plus. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about it. Join the Slack. Let's all be a part of this discussion and conversation together as we get ready for Hawkeye and Spider-Man. And so we'll see you next time on Friends from Work.